us your first thoughts on scripture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of First Thoughts. I'm Damon Jensen Heitman, one of the pastors, First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Craig Allen Pickett, the other pastor, First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska. Excited to celebrate Shiny Jesus Sunday with you. That's what some people call it. That's what we called it in seminary. Oh, maybe in Austin they did. Yeah, what did you all call it in Minnesota? I, I don't know. <laughs> you didn't call it Shiny Jesus Sunday? Not that I really recall. Okay. But it's possible. I don't know. Okay. Um, I have a few vague recollections of talking about Transfiguration Sunday. Which is, of course, what we're talking about here. I can't remember having... I don't remember it being referenced a lot. Enough. It comes up every year. Yeah. Generally speaking, in both the Revised Common Lectionary and also the Narrative Lectionary that we follow... uh, Transfiguration Sunday always occurs the Sunday before we start the season of Lent. It's always the Sunday before Ash Mm -hmm. Wednesday and then the first Sunday of Lent. And, uh, yeah, here it is again. And we're going to talk about the scripture for it. We are indeed. That's what what we do on First Thoughts, isn't it? That's what we do. (laughs) We share our first thoughts uh, for the scripture that we're going to use for the upcoming Sunday, which is, as has been mentioned, Transfiguration Sunday. Or Shiny Jesus Sunday. Yeah. It's like the the old Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons where they had two titles. Yes. So those were those were fun. You enjoy doing that often when you uh, when you write sermons here at First Western Church of Hastings. Yeah. I didn't realize you were hearkening back to Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons when you were doing that. Mm-hmm. Now I now I know. Probably eighty percent of what I do harkens back to Rocky and Bullwinkle. No kidding, eighty percent. That's or a something. very high percentage. Something like that. I would guess. <laughs> How much Rocky and Bullwinkle did you watch as a child? <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So the, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little mini Bible study uh, for some of our first thoughts. Uh, this is Mark chapter 8, verses, starting at verse 27 and going through chapter 9, verse 8. So while you're finding your Bibles, uh, to find those verses, we'll open with a word of prayer, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's doing that? Um, I think, uh, I guess I am. Sure. I have no idea. (coughs) I've uh, lost all track of everything. (laughs) Let's uh, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, this morning we're going to think a lot about uh, your identity, when you came to earth as Jesus Christ uh, and continue a reflection a bit on your authority and where that is derived from and what it means for us as people who claim to follow you. God, we would ask that you bless and guide our reading of your word, bless and guide our study of it, our reflections on it. And, uh, and on this strange event called the transfiguration in Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So now for the reading from Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27, going through and including the 8th verse of chapter 9. It reads something like this. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? 
And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he did not know he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. That's where we've paused this reading this time. Mm-hmm. Very mysterious. Greg, what do you got? Uh, there's a lot, lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. It starts a lot with Jesus talking about uh, his identity. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then he goes on to sort of describe what that identity would mean, what it means to be the Messiah or the Christ, right? I... He's certainly he's describing what it means for others. It's almost as though, in some ways, he's sort of defining his identity by what it means for others to follow him. Oh, I jumped ahead. You're at verse 31. I'm at verse 31. Uh, verse 34, definitely, that's that's the next step. That's where mm-hmm. we're getting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what? <laughs> so I think the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark really do work hard at helping us to understand who Jesus is. 
what his identity is. And, and as you and the youth did on Sunday, also where he derives his authority from. Um, mm-hmm. So that we can move into the season of Lent and prepare for, for Holy Week and Easter. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a big part of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel as though I just read this passage. Did we like just read this and, and talk about it? I don't think so. Huh, I don't know. I just this idea of Jesus asking, you know, um, who do people say that I am, um, and is he? I don't know. Is he really curious <laughs> about who people say? It's hard for me to believe that he doesn't have a sense of who people say that he is. He seems to know everybody's thoughts oftentimes in the, right. you know, in the gospel of Mark. Um, you know, he's using that uh, asking questions, mm-hmm. teaching methodology, right? Um, and is he really trying to, is he really trying to suss out what his disciples think of him? Does he, like, is he gauging how effective his teaching has been? Is it, or is he... Trying to prove a point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, he's trying, his questions, whether he's trying to or not, his questions draw some sort of, sort of clear distinction between people and his disciples. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, who do people say that I am? And who do you and say you're that a different, I am? And this you're is... a different group of folks. These questions have come up earlier in the Gospel of Mark, which is why they're feeling repetitive. But this is the first time that his disciples answer the questions right. You are oh, the he's Messiah, asked them you are before, the Christ. Who do you Correct. say that I am? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He gets confused with John the Baptist a lot. And for good reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's walking around essentially preaching John's sermon. Yep. <laughs> and then he often gets confused with Old Testament prophets as well, right? And for good reason. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's wandering around essentially preaching their sermon. Correct. Right. Okay. He's quoting the prophets from old, the Old Testament. He knows it well. Yeah. Um, His sermon I'm, in the Gospel of Mark is repent. Mm-hmm. For the kingdom of God is has drawn near. And he walks into synagogues and teaches, we read, with authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say whose authority, but he teaches with authority. And all are amazed at his teachings. Um, and sort of the subtext of that amazed at, I think, his, probably his knowledge of, of uh, the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, in Luke, he goes into the synagogue and actually unrolls the Isaiah scroll and reads it. And then says these prophecies are fulfilled in your hearing. So there's a, there's a, yeah, the, the, the folks questioning his identity um, and his disciples finally figuring it out <laughs> eight chapters in. Yeah. And this is in the, in the gospel in there. This is after they have been sent out to, do, to, to do the work of mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. Um, which maybe that helps them in some way. Figure out, you know, who, yeah. who this Jesus really is. Um, yeah. 
when you try to do somebody else's job, you get, I think, a, a little bit better sense of, of who they are. Um, or not necessarily their job, but you try to do something that's Im- important to them. Mm-hmm. You, you, you just get a little bit better sense of who they are as a person, I think. Yeah. Um, what do you, then he has this interaction with Peter, right? Um, he addresses, he says, he says quite openly that he will, must, must undergo great suffering, mm-hmm. be rejected and killed. And then, and then after three days rise again, he says all this openly and then Peter takes him aside. Right. right. You so don't. The, you don't really have to do that, Jesus. <laughs> so then they have this little um, private conversation. We don't hear what Peter says. Rebukes him. Um, Jesus responds, "Get behind me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things." Mm-hmm. What do you make of that little that switch there, or that distinction between? the human things and the divine things? Do you make anything of it? That's that's a good question. I mean, I I think Peter feels like there's some good momentum building. So I think he's rebuking. He's like, you don't need to die. We'll we'll protect you. And in other gospel accounts, that's kind of the the gist of the narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jesus is like, no, I just explained to you what needs to happen. And now... You're telling me no. You're telling me no from a very human perspective. You're not listening to the what needs to happen from a divine perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, I can understand Peter not wanting these prophecies to be fulfilled. Like we got some good stuff going on here. We got big crowds following us around. Jesus is teaching and healing. Jesus has empowered us to teach and heal. Things things are moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's stuff because we don't hear exactly what his objection is. We just know that Peter rebuked Jesus and Jesus turns around, rebuked Jesus privately. Right. And then Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter yeah. publicly. So hey, everybody, here's what just happened. Um, and it's, 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 it's a pretty stern rebuke. I mean, he says, get behind me, Satan. It's, he's not, not mincing his words here. He's not, and, and, and Satan is the tempter. Right. Right. So get behind me, you tempter. Mm-hmm. Um, so p- perhaps Peter is is trying to tempt him. I guess it represents, I guess, some sort of temptation. Right. To Jesus to to do something else. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Right. Um, and it's the temptation that is the I don't know the the human part of it. I think um, so. Jesus includes in his little speech, uh, be suffer, be rejected, be killed. He includes, and after three days, rise again. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> maybe maybe Jesus shouldn't have buried the lead. <laughs> maybe Peter didn't hear that, the last part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they... Because you're the, oh, that's, okay. <laughs> um, Peter got caught up on the undergo great suffering and be rejected. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But then Jesus takes the next step. Um, he's 
expands his audience, calls the crowd with his disciples, and says, okay, if this is what I'm undergoing, this is what it means to be one of my disciples and my followers, because these large crowds are now following Jesus, saying we, we want to be part of this guy's movement. Yeah. And he says, okay, here's what it means to be part of this movement, guys mm-hmm. and gals. Uh, if any want to become my followers, deny yourself, take up your cross. Mm-hmm. And this may be the first mention of cross in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mm. sort of foreshadowing the Certainly could be. Yeah. mode of Jesus' death. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And I always think that one's interesting. Jesus isn't saying those who will lose their lives for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. When he says the gospel, he's not, he's not holding up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those don't right. exist yet. Yeah. Right? The gospel we know is the evangelion in uh, in. Uh, Greek, the yeah. the good news, mm-hmm. right? So that's what he means, not not the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, right. But those, but for the sake of the good news, for we'll the sake say of it. the idea that the kingdom of God is drawn near, He's drawing near, yeah. And then for what will it profit? Whatever that means to gain the whole world and lose lose their life, forfeit their life, or lose their soul, as other translations read. Yeah. And that that idea of um, to to gain the whole world, that in my mind, and that connects back to this to this idea of temptation. Uh-huh. I don't remember if the I don't think the Gospel of Mark presents a depiction of the temptations that Jesus faces in the wilderness. Yeah, no, it's I think it just says he goes, he's tempted in the wilderness, and then he comes back and comes back. It doesn't go into the details of those temptations, right? But oftentimes that is under, kind of understood to be one of those temptations. Well, it is because give you the whole world. it gets fleshed out in, in Matthew mm-hmm. where the, the temptation of the 40 days in the wilderness is given more detail, which includes an offer to give, I'll give you, give you everything you see here. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and so Jesus is telling his followers the same thing. You don't. What will it profit to gain the whole world and, and forfeit your life or lose your soul? Yeah. Which is... Yeah, it's really hard. I I think. Um, well, I mean, like... We tend to uh, undercut it, I think, some ways. Yeah, as a sales pitch, this is not necessarily going to be the most effective way to draw people in to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Like, um... What does it mean to be a Jesus, disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, you uh, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and follow Him. You uh, have to uh, give up worldly things and, and potentially forfeit your own life. Uh, so, who wants who wants to join me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, who would want to join that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think. Folks who already don't have a whole lot. Um, yeah, and, and folks who just believe really strongly. That he is the Messiah, right? Yeah, yeah. And in, and in the idea that the kingdom of God coming near um, is the thing that t- turns the world right side up. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and and establishes peace and justice and righteousness in in the lives of 
not just in the lives of believers, but in the lives of the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah. Um, it's interesting to talk about these sorts of passages with confirmation students. Say more about that. <laughs> and the idea of... It, here's the reality of what Jesus is saying, in some part, is that the path that he is about to walk down will end in his death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're going to follow him, it means that it will end in your death as well. <laughs> um, which it, it's... Uh, and, so, and so then we talk about maybe not all of us are called to give our lives. <laughs> for God. And we talk about the idea of what does it mean to to deny yourself? Right. Right. Um, and to choose to live not by not by the things that you want, but by the things that you believe or trust that God wants. Right. Um, and and even then, not the things that you believe or think that God wants necessarily for you, but for others. Right. Yeah, and it's 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 this juxtaposition between what I will call worldly values and kingdom values, mm-hmm. right? And more often than not, worldly values are at odd with kingdom values. And when I say kingdom values, of course, God's kingdom. And and so denying yourself means not pursuing the world value, worldly values so that you can pursue the kingdom values that are at odds with these worldly values. And those kingdom values don't necessarily um, benefit you in this world. Uh, right. They are a denial of self. They are a denial of your own wants and desires and needs for the sake of others, for the sake of building up this kingdom of justice and righteousness and love and compassion and peace and joy and all these things, right? Yeah. Yeah, that Jesus is asking those who would follow to give themselves away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then we kind of need to think about <laughs> what does that mean for me in my context? Uh, or what might that mean for mm-hmm. me in my context? Yeah, it's a real, it's a real uh, rubber meets the road. <laughs> Indeed. Passage, it's it's you know it's right up there with the young man who approaches Jesus and asks, "What do I need to inherit the kingdom of God or whatever it is? Yep. Inherit eternal life? I don't forget what it is." Yep. Well, follow the commandments. Well, I do that. Yep. Okay, great. Then there's just one other thing: sell all your possessions, <laughs> give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Uh huh. And he and he walks away sad. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't do it. We don't. We don't get to that right. part of the story. But it's a real rubber meets the road sort of a thing. But yeah. And then the last part of this passage is this wild and crazy transfiguration story. That's the transfiguration moment, uh, which I think is there to sort of hammer the point home. Is there to. Um, Open the eyes of at least Peter, James, and John to this. This is real. This is this is it. This is the, this is the this point is about it. identity and yeah. Jesus' identity. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It certainly, at the very least, it helps <laughs> anyone else. I, well, he okay. Well, he can't be Elijah because he's talking to Elijah, right? <laughs> right. You know, like when you're watching a movie and there's like we're trying to figure out who this character actually is, right? And like, well, that character has never been in a scene with this other character, right? So, it, <laughs> so it could be. Here's the three characters they've never been in a scene with. Yep. So they could be one of those three. We don't know which. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now we know he's not Elijah. We know he's not Moses. Um, at least from like from the reader's perspective, then we we know that, mm-hmm. right? Um, Peter, at least, has already correctly identified him as the Messiah. But at the very least, it does that. Right, it does that, uh, and then it invokes, uh, again, his baptism, which actually Peter, James, and John were likely not present for. Uh, yeah, no, none of them were. So far as we know. I guess they might have just happened to be there on the same day, but was, none of them had been called right. as disciples No, they yet. weren't disciples yet, um, and yeah. they're not explicitly mentioned as having been present for Jesus' baptism. But mm-hmm. So now you have this voice coming from a cloud saying, this is my son, the beloved. Uh, and instead of with whom I am well pleased, it's listen to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if a voice from the clouds said that to me uh, and it was real clear and there was other people who heard it with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd be like, Oh, this seems like it's pretty serious. This now. probably means something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially after all of the other things that they had seen and witnessed. Right. All of the other things that they themselves had done. Right, because they've already been empowered to go out and do work of healing in Jesus' name and casting out demons and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they've been given this power, and so now it's it's like, it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I also, it just, just occurred to me, a connection, I was thinking about... Um, Peter's desire to, to stay mm-hmm. there or his idea. I don't know if it's really a desire or not to stay there. And the difference between when Jesus sends out the disciples, he says, wherever you are welcomed, stay there like essentially for like as long as you can. And preach the gospel, right. so to speak. Um, and wherever you are not welcomed... You shake the dust off of your sandals as a, as a testimony against them. And I see a connection. Like Peter is experiencing this place, this event, as some sort of, like, it's good for us to be here, he says. Right? Right. So we should stay. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's what we just got done doing that. <laughs> Going places, and it was when, where it was good for us to be, we stayed. We stayed. And where it wasn't good for us to be, we shook the dust off. And we moved along. Yeah. Um, so, why, why wouldn't he want right. to stay there where it's, where it's good for them to be? Right. Um, and and it, geez, I think he's trying to offer some of the, the hospitality Oh, yeah. This is, this is a very, very different reading, uh, and I love it. Yeah. And I love that you've connected it to the story in Mark 6 that we preached on last week, as well as the story about Jesus showing hospitality to outsiders. 
Um, normally, I think of this as Peter being like, uh, he's having this mountaintop experience and he just wants to stay within the mountaintop experience. Right? Sure, yeah, but, but kind of for himself. For himself. Yeah. But I love that you've connected this to, um, yeah, to, to, to Jesus commissioning the disciples and going out and also to Jesus' call to radical hospitality to outsiders. And mm-hmm. so we have, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a different interpretation, not, not one that um, we usually do when we talk about this transfiguration story, but I, I like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it can be read either way. Right. right? Because if he just kind of wants to stay there for himself because he's having a great time, mm-hmm. that connects kind of back to this idea of get behind me, tempter. Correct. Right. Um, and it couldn't be both. <laughs> I don't see it, why it couldn't be both of these right. things. Um, it also... Uh, because we have these Older Testament characters here, we have Elijah and Moses mm-hmm. also in the story. There's also part of it that reminds me of uh, Abraham. Okay. Uh, folks show up at his tent, mm-hmm. um, and he offers them hospitality, hospitality. And, and welcome, and they turn out to be these divine figures, or maybe God. Angels or God <laughs> or something, yeah. Um, and we have divine figures here in some sort of mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. Uh and, and Peter maybe sort of offering that sort of, oh, we got to like, we got to welcome these guys. Yeah. It's like, it's pretty cool that they're back. Right. <laughs> and it would be. Yeah. We should build a dwelling, for, you know, for I, them. I'm always surprised at the frequency with which Jesus is mistaken for Elijah, a long dead prophet. And then how do Peter, James, and John know that that's Moses and Elijah, right? Yeah. We don't have cameras. Um, Does any dude with a long beard get mistaken (laughs) for an Old Testament prophet? But they know, like they're clear that this is this. These are the two people that they see standing with Jesus while Jesus shimmers and shines. And Uh uh, right. Yeah. Do yeah. they have name tags? <laughs> yeah. This is, this is Elijah. This is my buddy Moses. I, what? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think, you know, maybe they are, you know, carrying the things of these, you know. Oh, Moses has his two tablets with the Ten Commandments? You know, What's Elijah carrying? A I mean. staff or something. I mean, <laughs> in a similar way, like, like, when you see, or when we see uh, a painting of Moses, uh-huh. we know that it's Moses. Because he's got some Moses stuff, right? Right, like he's got the staff, or he's got like the, or the some, tablets, or though yeah. we've never seen a picture of Moses either, right? We know that that, that that's a different because it's a depiction of the right. character. Um, yeah, yeah, no, the, yeah, they just kind of know. They yeah, they just know that that's that's Elijah and that's Moses, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm. God could certainly put that knowledge on their minds and hearts. Like, I, I don't want to. Uh-huh. And then suddenly they looked around and saw no one with them anymore but Jesus. And so this is, I mean, this is a striking scene. And it, I can't speak for Peter, James, and John, but th- this would freak me out a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why um, I think it's rare to end this reading at verse 8. Uh-huh. Verse 9 is... As they're going down the mountain, Jesus tells them, "Don't tell, don't tell anyone." Right. Um, but to pa- but to stop there at eight leaves much more of that sort of mysterious mm-hmm. what just happened. Yeah. Field and, and well, and it says in here in verse six, he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. 
mm-hmm. right? And the best he can come up with is, can I build you some tents? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that what we should be doing? I, I don't really know. But yeah, that's what people have done for me. So maybe I'll try, try that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. What else? Anything else? I think we got a lot of material there to work with. Yeah. That should that should last you. We'll see where it lands on Sunday. That should, that should get you 10 to 12 minutes. Yeah. I would think. So. You want to close this with prayer then? Yeah. Let's All do right. that. Loving and gracious God. Uh, we don't really always understand it, but every once in a while we find ourselves to be just really keenly aware that we are held within the mystery of your presence and the mystery of the presence of all of those people of faith who have come before us. Thank you, O God, for those times. Thank you for those moments. Thank you for the witness of others and the witness of your scripture that helps us to understand them uh, and to figure out what it might mean for our own lives and how we live them. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus the Christ, for his birth, life, teaching, death, and resurrection. As we continue to ponder and consider these scriptures, ask that our hearts, our eyes, and our minds might be opened so that we might recognize the word that you have for us this day and all days. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And that's all we have to say about that. All right. Should we uh, talk about what's happened in the life of the church? Moving on. What's happening in the life of the church, Damon? Uh, probably worship, I'm going to uh, guess. I think Sunday we'll probably uh, gather for worship, mm-hmm. uh, as we do most Sundays. Probably at 8.30. 8.30 we'll have a contemplative service in the chapel with communion. Mm-hmm. And probably at 10.30. And uh, we'll have a 10.30 traditional service. This week it will include some cool stuff. Uh, we will have our chancel choir at the 10.30 service. We will have the cathedral brass at the 10.30 service. And we will have a guest organist at the 10.30 yeah. service. And that guest organist, Dr. Stephen John Hamilton, was, uh, I'll be sitting down to have a conversation with him. We're going to record that conversation Saturday afternoon. And then we'll use uh, that conversation for, we'll present that conversation during forum that morning. Okay, so folks can sit in the Lydia room mm-hmm. and watch the conversation. Obviously, it can't be live because Dr. Hamilton will be practicing and Correct. you will be teaching confirmation. So you all are going to pre-record that and then show that uh, during, and then we'll also post it to our YouTube page mm-hmm. and make it available. Yep. And what are, you, what, are, what are you and Dr. Stephen John Hamilton going to be talking about, Damon? We're going to talk about uh, sacred music and, okay. and what does that mean and, and how do we... Do we know it when we hear it or just all sorts of things related to sacred music? I'm looking forward to hearing that conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so folks will be able to observe, I suppose, that conversation and then maybe have their own conversation for a little bit after that. So. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, that's Sunday, February 11th uh, for the morning hours, uh, and in the afternoon at 3 p.m., we will be hosting an organ recital here uh, at the church with Dr. Stephen John Hamilton uh, presenting for us, and that recital is free. It's open to the public. It's part of the Langenberg Concert Series, and so uh, we hope you can join us for that as well. Mm-hmm.
And did you are you talking about Wednesday night or no? No. Okay. So we're doing all our Wednesday night stuff this week. Continues as usual. 5 p.m. for dinner. Children, youth, and their families are welcome to join us for dinner from 5 to 5.30. And the children youth break off and they do choir, bell choir, Bible study, and some fellowship. Uh, and that's happening this Wednesday. Next Wednesday, February 14th, is uh, a little different. Mm-hmm. Still going to have dinner at 5. Mm-hmm. Concludes at 5.30, but then we're truncating the programming for children and youth so that our children and youth can join us for our Ash Wednesday service at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, February 14th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think that's most of it for now. Yeah, we'll keep you updated, but that starts, of course, the season of Lent for us. Uh, we'll be doing a weekly devotional guide that will go out during the season of Lent that yep. we'll send out electronically and also have paper copies here at the church uh, that we can send you home with on Sundays. And so <coughs> as a family of faith, we will progress through the season of Lent uh, using that devotional guide. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? I think that, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's most of it. All right. If not all of it. That's somewhere between most and all of it. Fair enough. Seem good? Yeah. All right. Well, then with all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.